On this episode of Times Like Now, I'm speaking with Robert Winia, founder, bass player, and singer of the Portland, Oregon band Floater. He has recently released a book of poetry along with a soundtrack called Night Walks. I'm Trevor Collins, and this is Times Like Now. Good evening, Robert. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Um, how, uh, how have you been? How is uh, your family, and, and where are you living nowadays? What state? What? Uh, I am in Portland, okay. uh, which I've called home for, I don't know, a long time. Um, and, I mean, how do people answer that question now? Right. You know? Uh, I feel like if I say fine, great, whatever, uh, it's probably a lot more disingenuous than I am comfortable with being. But um, I also feel a little bit like I think most people these days in that if you really start to launch into how terrible you feel about all of this, uh, no one has, we're all in it, you know, so it's not anything anyone doesn't know. So, um I guess I'll just say I feel probably like everyone else. I understand that and, and can relate as well. I want to jump right into, into things. So obviously you're not doing any live performances, and uh, that must be, be tough for a musician that's always moving as much as you are or as you seem to be. That's got to be hard. It's not great. Um, I'm going to jump into for my audience quickly. Uh I have never paid you for any of the music that I play on my show, correct? <laughs> because I think anybody who might listen to my show might might be curious if somehow I'm getting a, a something from you. But uh, I I play floater, I play dramatica. I've been playing your solo material, um, so yeah. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knows I'm just a fan and uh, and support your music and always have. Uh, I'm getting nothing and from you. And I love you. you for it, Kyle. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so real quick, a, a history of Floater for those who may be new or those who are recapping. Um, Eugene, Oregon, approximately 93, correct? Uh, I think I think 90. 95. I, well, uh, let's say 94. We'll split sure, as far as the name, the <laughs> band that it was, it was solid yeah. by by ninety four ish. There's some, there's some, there's some gray area in there. Sure, lots of. <laughs> um, moved to Portland and then extensive touring, up and down West Coast and West Side of the United States. Some shows in New York side, uh, East Coast side, and and around. Um, what is it? Nine albums I count under Floater's belt. Live studio uh, or studio nine studio albums. Yeah, I think I think that's right. That's what that's what Wiki Wiki Wikipedia said as. Oh, trust Wikipedia. Um, and two albums, so, uh, two albums live. Oh yeah, sure. Right. Um, and I guess something to get into that I'd be interested in speaking of is um, all of this time. How many years? I wouldn't even want to add it up right now. But do you, w would you go back to those earliest days, do anything differently? Would you uh, change things? I mean, in a, in a wide sense, did, did you ever want the uh, big record label, the cover of the Rolling Stone? Did you ever want that? 
and and uh, how how could how could changing something maybe have helped that idea if you didn't oh well i mean um boy that's a really uh i wish there was a simple straightforward answer to that question um i'll just do my best and i i don't know i don't know if even in 10 minutes i can really uh cover it all i i think um i would say no uh i i I definitely wasn't looking for that. Um, I think there's a, a misconception um, on a lot of people's parts that it was that I was, um, you know, shunning it or uh, you know, actively avoiding that, uh, which is not the case. Um, I think you know, um, getting getting signed onto a major label, um, require it's, it's a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit like, you know, getting married and, and having kids. Um, it just does not happen unless it's something that you want to have happen. Um, it astonishes me the number of times that people, uh, especially, um, musicians, you know, and I mean, I think probably, actors are maybe the worst at this <laughs> but they perpetuate the myth of this sort of like i was just walking down the street and then all of a sudden someone said you're famous right it's it's it takes a concerted effort and a lot of focus and you have to really work to get a manager to get representation go through an entertainment lawyer work with a major label um you know to become a pearl jam or something like that it has to be the goal and the relentless touring and the commercial deals and the tour sponsorships and everything are all part of the package. So if it's just something that you are not, if it's not your primary goal, it's not going to happen. And I think um, that would be the long and the short of how I would sort of probably sum it up is that uh, it just wasn't the goal. And um, I don't think if I could go back and change anything that I would have made it the goal. Uh, because working it, it, you're on your own, your own way, uh, is just so fantastically liberating. And I mean, I, I could never have done so many of the things that I've done over the years if I had the obligations and responsibilities that would have come with, um, you know, like massive worldwide commercial success. And uh, I, I mean, I certainly wasn't like turning it down or anything like that, but I, I, if I could go back and do it all again, no, I would not make it the goal for sure. That is that that is great to hear, and I and I think it, it really is, and I I think um, I think floater fans would find a lot of um, I don't know. It, it certainly makes me feel great about you and about the band because oh, well. that is one of those. Um, well, floater has in in my mind been the black sheep, and in but it, in in the best of ways, doing things your own way, driving things your own direction 
as you've just stated, and I've always felt that about the band, and that's why I think your fans are so uh, so committed and so rabid and so absolutely fanatical about this band. The three uh, musicians on stage are, as you've just said, I think um, it says a lot about integrity and it says a lot about priorities. You do it because of the music, because of the love of the music, and the trappings and everything that you've just described. We've seen these stories in in movies and biographies about other bands and the, the terrible things that can come with it. And I think this, as you've just described, is fairly succinct of, of I think, why you, your fans love the band, love the music oh. so much. Well, I I mean, I, I'm grateful that, that people... Um, can throw themselves into it, you know, I mean, that's, that's the whole point, you know, the, the whole goal is to sort of create something uh, unifying that um, it's, you know, it's, it's like uh, building some sort of a cabin in the remote wilderness along a trail, you know, you, it takes a lot of effort and you're not building it for a ton of people, but that, hiker that periodically shows up and finds that cabin in the snow is so happy <laughs> that they've found it and it can be life-changing and so you know you could take a lot of pride in just having made something that somebody can take shelter in you know singer and bass player and um so that was endless too angel in the flesh devil in the bone uh cd um so the band uh floater you'd been uh, how many albums and how much time together and then in 2011 i believe was the release of your first solo cd yeah. Um, Iron by Water. Uh, what uh, what was the motivations? What was the inspiration? Or the, I guess you know, tell me some of how that came about to do a solo disc. Uh, well, I think there was a combination of a number of things that all uh, were sort of happening at once. Um, one of them was that uh, I had just uh, had a couple of kids. And um, I was writing a little bit differently. And um, I realized that, you know, with all of the floater albums, there had been these moments of um, kind of uh, bringing things down and, and getting very acoustic. And, um, and we had been, floater had been playing a lot of shows where we would play two nights in a row in towns and we'd play electric on one of the nights and acoustic on the other 
And so I was writing and recording more and more and more uh, with my guitar. And, um, you know, it just, it seemed like I had a lot of these songs that were, it, it would have made for a sort of a strange feeling floater album to, um, to put these songs under that moniker. And, um, and I, I actually had a long conversation with, um, my manager about sort of what's the best idea here. Is it, you know, um, what would you name this? <laughs> and she said, well, you, and uh, so I, I was sort of reluctant to just use my name, but I ended up doing that anyway. Um, and I think that it was, you know, just sort of all those things. Some questions uh, regarding performance. Uh, do you prefer uh, studio and recording or the live stage experience after all these years and all these shows, years of recording, uh, what still What's your favorite? I guess if you. Um, I I definitely um, my favorite is is the studio work, um, and I would just say that's because uh, inherently I'm selfish, and I uh, I like when I'm working in the studio. Um, it's like it's my time, and I get to stop and start and do what I want and try different things and throw away the things that I don't like. And, uh, and when I'm performing live, it's their time, you know, uh, which is great. Uh, there's a lot to be gained from it. You get a lot of feedback. Um, you get that sort of, uh, immediate response that you don't get in the studio. Um, but in the studio is really where you get to screw up a lot and, and just throw everything at the wall and see what works. And, um, but, you know, live is kind of higher pressure. Sure. Now, uh, so, speaking of touring, yeah. um, you did some tours with your solo band. And that was with, um, uh, with I'm trying to, uh, uh, the, the name, remind me, sorry. Uh, the, oh, sound. the Sound. The Sound, yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's easy to not remember because I changed it around a lot. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, but it is it is Robert Winia and the sound. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, now you did uh, some shows with them, and then you took off for, God, what was it almost a year, I think? A long time. Yeah, about a, about uh, a year. By yourself, doing just you and your guitar. And I remember following you on the internet, thinking you know, you're in Iceland, you're in uh, Ireland, you're where? Where did else did you go? And how long were you out? And tell me how that was. Was the audiences in these places? Um, it was uh, just about a year, a little over ten months. Um, it was nineteen countries, and uh, it was. Um, you know, it, it had very high points. It had very low points. But overall, if I were going to put the whole thing under one uh, name tag, I, I would. It was amazing. I mean, it, it, it was incredible. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, 
even with the disasters. <laughs> now, were you booking really, those shows really yourself? Uh, it was a kind of a combination. I booked some of them myself. I booked some of them through a booking agency. Um, I booked some of them through, uh, <laughs> oddly enough, there was a handful of them that were uh, just through like Facebook, people just reaching out and saying, hey, would you play this club? Um, there was a guy uh, in Thailand who um, sent me a message and said, I own a, a, a bar in Thailand. Um, are you by any chance going to Thailand? And uh, at the time I was in India and I said, well, um, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> And uh, if, you know, if you want me to come and play a gig there, then I'll think about it a lot more seriously. So there was a, a wide range of um, sort of ways that those gigs came about. Um, Japan, I played all of my shows in Japan. I was there for a month and played a bunch of shows. And they were all through um, an agent there, April Pareto, who's incredible, um, who set up tours for the slants and, um, you know, and, and just basically... I've been kind of an email buddy of hers for a long time. And she said, Oh, if you're going to be in Japan, let me know. And so, so what um, were some of the, were you playing like, like coffee shops or small bars or, you know, what was, I mean, if there was such an average or normal kind of venue, Oh man, I mean, honestly, it ran a pretty wide gamut. Um, I played, uh, I was the opening act for an Italian uh, rock band when I was touring around Italy and that was ab about almost a month of just like a lot of shows all over Italy and they were you know pretty big like some of them were these great big outdoor shows with thousands of people um, and then some some of them were uh, just shows in bars college towns um, in Southeast Asia, a lot of them were uh, outdoor bars where it was just people were sort of walking in and out. Um, in Japan, they were all indoor. Um, in, in Japan, the bar situation's kind of different. It's pretty regulated. Um, so it, it was all over the place. But yeah, there were some coffee shops. There were some some busking outside on the street in Scotland. There were some uh, some pubs in the UK. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, you've got two solo albums. Uh, for second one being called Brave the Strange, which was 2018. And in addition to that, you're also doing projects, uh, an occasional project with Keith Brown. Yeah. And that gang from Dramatica. <laughs> that gang. Dramatica's new, Dramatica just dropped a new CD recently. Would you suggest a song for me to play? That What's something that you really like on the new uh, Dramatica disc? I guess, I mean, if you were going to just pick one um, because I'm the guest, I'd say maybe The Watcher. This rusty turning of the key Blinding Light falls through the door And now So much to answer for Shaking Hanging your head 
The Watchers by Dramatica, featuring Robert Winia on vocals. And now, back to our interview. Robert has released a, a book of poetry and a corresponding um, soundtrack, I guess you would call it. Please, uh, what would you call the music accompaniment of this poetry volume? I call it the soundtrack. Okay. Um, yeah, it's... I realize now after putting the book and the instrumental soundtrack out, how um, confusing this is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm confronted regularly with the questions of like, how, how does this work? What, what? And, uh, and I, I am only just now recognizing that um, I think I'm, I may have produced something that is a lot more baffling than I intended it to be. But, um, but you know, Hey man, that's okay. Right. People are stuck inside. They, they can handle a little, uh, intellectual. Well, they might have to think or, or research some. (laughs) Well, or, or, or just come to a conclusion on their own. And, uh, well, just to, to explain real quickly. So you have the, 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 the pieces of work are separate. There's a musical yeah. uh, CD or soundtrack, as you said, and then the poetry, uh, you reading these poems. Now, then, is it, is it like the, the Pink Floyd uh, Wizard of Oz? You have to press play on one and <laughs> press play on the other to get them to sync up as you, as you no, wish? No, it's, it's much, much, much easier than that. Uh, so the, the, the premise for this for me was that um, I am a really big fan of soundtracks as an art form. Um, and especially soundtracks, if I'm listening to a, you know, a Peter Gabriel or a Brian Eno or a Nick Cave soundtrack, um, I don't even need to watch the movie. Uh, I, I can truly deeply enjoy just the soundtrack. Uh, and it's compounded by the fact that when I write, um, whether I'm writing lyrics or poetry or short stories or whatever, uh, I, I really enjoy having music playing behind me, but I, I can't stand having vocals come in because then I have to stop paying attention to the writing. And, uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm making a book, but movies get to have soundtracks. And I don't understand why a book can't have a soundtrack. That seems fair. Um, but no, you don't have to, you know, press play and then try to read the whole book in, you know, 41 minutes or whatever the soundtrack runtime is. Um, because I've had a lot of people ask me, I can't, I can't read that fast. And so overcomplicating it, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Well, or I mean, they're, they're understandable um, conclusions to jump to. But all I was trying to do was, so the, the pieces in the book are broken into, I guess what I would, I would loosely call categories. So uh, works that, that were primarily themed around lust um, went into a sort of lust category or need and um, because I think of lust and need as being interchangeable. And then I would try to create an instrumental piece that I felt like conveyed a sense of need and lust. And 
then the pieces that had to do with, um, you know, society and, and social breakdown and social fabric were all kind of lumped together into a section of the book. And then I tried to create an instrumental piece that I felt conveyed that. So the idea is if you wanted to put them together or felt the need to put them together, I would say you can listen to the track that's that's named that corresponding section of the book and read anything from, if you want to do it at the same time, that's how it's a sort of guide. But you can very easily just read the book on the beach without headphones and and you can very easily just listen to the soundtrack without having to read the book. So I've... they do complement each other, but they don't have to be together. And the titles of both are? Uh, Night Walks. Okay. Okay, um, I'm going to play some of that, and um, I'm going to play what you sent oh. me. Yeah, so this is, what I sent you was uh, the third track uh, of the soundtrack, which corresponds to the third section of the book. And I picked, uh, it has sort of four musical movements in this piece that I sent you. And so I picked four uh, pieces to read, and I read those over the music. Robert Winnie, uh, reading from Night Walks. This is Need Like a Collapsing Star. Was it whole when you left, but broken when you got there? Or intention dissolved into mist? A detour planned on the long fenced road? His hand held to the back of your neck, a bit too demanding or perhaps not quite hard enough. Still, in the end, it will do. Robert Winnie reading from his latest Night Walks, along with the accompanying musical companion CD. And now back to my interview with Robert Winnie. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a, a long, strange trip for the fans. Uh, Floater fans uh, are some of my favorites. I really desperately miss some floater live music or some dramatica live music, and I think we're all going to have to bear down and, and grit our teeth and wait till we get through this, but uh, looking forward to other projects. Do you have anything else that you're in the laboratory working on? I am, yeah, uh, a number of things, but I don't want to get everybody's hopes up because uh, of currently course. I can't have anybody come into my studio because you know so uh it's uh it, it's a lot of working remotely and sending files back and forth which is just very slow can you let it slip is this floater material hmm? uh yeah mm -hmm. sure some of it yeah okay yeah i mean I, okay. I i don't know i don't know what i would do if i wasn't in contact with those guys i i we all sure. daily text each other and say i miss you man but uh you know what are you gonna do where could be, uh, I mean, obviously the, the regular places like uh, Bandcamp and whatnot for your material, your poetry and everything else, where would you recommend? Uh, well, definitely, yeah, Bandcamp is great. You can, for, for anything of mine, you can just go to robertwinia.com. Um, and I think, I think there's just links there to everything. And uh, floater.com uh, floater or floatermusic.com? Floater.com. Okay. Once again, Robert Winnie of Floater and Dramatica and uh, published poet and uh, Renaissance guy all around. Thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you again soon, Robert. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Times Like Now. Please tune in again next time.
for me too.